Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 127. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. How have you been? It's been a while. I hope you're doing okay. I am doing great now. Wow, happy new year. It is 2023, which is really nice because somewhere around September of any given year, I start to think it's the next year. And then for the entire Q4 of the year, I get the year mixed up. So now I'm good. It's definitely 2023. I was genuinely confused about that. I had to actually Google it a couple times in December or so. Wow, yeah, January 14th. It has been a month and 10 days since I did this podcast. I don't really have a good excuse. I have reasons. We'll go through them. Uh, first and foremost, uh, after a lovely trip to New York, which we'll talk about, I got COVID. Surprise, surprise. Uh, turns out going to New York in early December. Well, you know, actually, I've been doing it each year of the pandemic. And I got away with it the first few times. <laughs> but that was back when New York cared. Well, the first year was. The second year, they didn't care, but I still cared, and I wore masks. But the third year, well, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. The second year, I I went last year, and I went and saw LCD Sound System and Yola Tango and Wet Leg, first American show ever. Very exciting. Uh, and I did wear masks to all those shows. Um, and Genesis actually four shows, four nights. And, um, but I did wear masks, all the shows. I was very careful at the shows. And so that, you know, it made sense. I didn't catch it there, but I also went, did exactly what I did this time. I went to Tom and Jerry's. I sat at the front table by the door with my oxygen meter. Uh, I drank with friends and I did not get COVID last year. This year I did. However, I also went to a Christmas party at another bar in like Chelsea area and that bar had pretty high O2 content. I tried to wear my mask when it was appropriate, but it didn't work. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a bummer. So I got there Tuesday. I had Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Friday morning, it's actually Thursday night. I'm sitting in the hotel, and I, I, I took it pretty easy Thursday night. I saw my friend Doug Pfeffer for the first time since the pandemic began. He moved up to Western Mass, and uh, he's, I wouldn't say as careful as me, though he's been more careful than me than this, this trip. Um, and he and his family were going to Long Island, so they spent one night in the city. He had his kid with him and his wife, so, you know, we couldn't, like, tie one on or anything. And I think that really saved him because we were careful. We ate at uh, Tacombe, but we ate outside. We went to Tom and Jerry's for, like, two minutes, and I was like, this is too crowded. Let's get out of here. And we got out of there, and they went to a completely empty bar. We were the only people there besides the bartender. And now I feel really terrible about this. Uh, and the O2 was great. It was like 600 in there. And we sat facing the bartender, not each other. So Doug did not get it. I mean, obviously, after I told him I got it, he freaked out for five days and was very careful. But in the end, he didn't get it. So that was really good. Anyway, we took it easy that night. We were staying at the same hotel. We walked back at like 10. I went to, I wasn't that tired. I'd been staying up late, you know, 1, 2 o'clock New York hours. And I was like, well, I'm not that tired. And I usually get up early. And, you know, I had the flight booked for one, either two-ish. Yeah, two-ish. Because that kind of works. Because I can sleep as long as I want. They always kick you out of a hotel at noon. So that's the longest you could possibly sleep. 
I made this habit years ago when sleeping to noon was a realistic proposition for me. And then you go to the airport and then you land at like 3.30 or 4 so I can pick up dinner on the way home for Emma. You know what I mean? Um, but I talked to her that night and I was like, look, I don't want to... I don't want to do that. I just want to come home on the first flight because rain was coming and a storm was coming and I wanted to get home. I didn't want to like be in New York any longer, you know? So I changed my flight that night for the first flight out of LaGuardia, which is the way you get out of New York city when a storm is coming. It's just get out on the first flights right when LaGuardia opens because it can't be too crowded yet. <laughs> it is a little crowded still, but it's your best chance of getting out. So I was like, I think like five fifty or six o'clock or something like that. I got up at four, got in the, I tested, I was testing the whole time I was in New York every day and I tested before I went to the airport. This is the important part. And then I went to the airport and I got on my plane and I got out on time and I got home and I was home by, I don't know, seven, like 9am or something, you know what I mean? And, uh, but I missed getting in home in time for helping with breakfast. So I stayed down in my office and I did work and we were being careful, right? My Emma was obviously very dubious of this whole New York trip, really didn't think I should go. And honestly, I would have not gone were it not for Doug. I had business stuff to do there, but you can always, I've learned, even now, you can always just say, I can't make it and do a Zoom for business. And uh, I could have done that, but I wanted to, you know, I did need to do this business stuff. And, um, but really, like, I would have canceled if it weren't for Doug, because I knew that the, like, the numbers were going up and it was bad, but I just hadn't seen my best friend in three years, man. So, you know. We went, um, and anyway, tested before the flight, got home, tested around lunchtime, had lunch way far away from my family, but at least I got to see them. Uh, went back downstairs uh, till dinner time. Right before dinner, I tested, and I was positive. So I'm in my office, and we don't know what to do. And then I just stayed in my office for like, I don't know. Well, okay, that was Friday afternoon. I got my packs loaded that night which was in hindsight a mistake. I had symptoms. I felt bad on Friday by that point. And Saturday I felt bad. I started taking the Paxlovid and the symptoms went away. And by Tuesday I was negative and I came out, Wednesday or Thursday, I was negative and I came out. But by this point I'd learned so much and I learned about the Paxlovid rebound and I'd learned that I should not have started taking my Paxlovid so early. And I totally messed up because I got my Paxlovid. My doctor just wasn't answering her phone and the clinic wasn't answering their calls, even though it was like two o'clock when I tested positive. They just closed early for the day. It was ridiculous. So I got my Paxlovid prescription through a, like an online doctor from CVS. And then when my doctor finally answered on Monday, she's like, yeah, I'll send your Paxlovid prescription to your other pharmacy because I'm slowly switching from CVS to this other pharmacy. So I could have gotten two prescriptions and I could have gotten 10 days of it. And that would have totally solved my problem because the whole thing they think is that Paxlovid isn't long enough. And so there's still a few lingering COVID cells in your body and then they rebound. And that's exactly what happened. I was out of quarantine for two days and I tested positive again. And it was right after I like, oh my God. It was like right after I put, <laughs> I rolled up the air mattress. I, I, we decided I would do quarantine in my studio for a few reasons. It's got its own separate HVAC system. Uh, it has a door to the outside world so I could go outside. Um, and then, you know, we can shut off the whole basement. So there is a bathroom, but like I was masking to go to the, use the bathroom. But most of the time I just peed outside in the woods, you know, we're on, we're in the wilderness, right? Um, so it made a lot of sense because the bedroom, I would have been confined to the bedroom. There's nothing to do. My computer's here, my musical instruments, my television. I just got all this stuff in the in the in my office. It's just more comfortable. So I'd have to sleep on an air mattress. But other than that, it was clearly the thing to do. There's a fridge right outside the door. 
So, you know, I, it wasn't bad, uh, but I just put everything away and I was still so tired from my COVID and I then had to bring it all back. And, <laughs> and then the second time I was positive for 16 days. So total, I was down here for about 21 days, most of December, uh, really from December 4th to January 4th or December like 8th to January 5th, I guess it was, it was just under a month minus the two days I got out. We did not have Christmas until last weekend which was lovely. <laughs> and my poor wife had to watch Jane pretty much by herself for almost a month. Um, as you recall, my mother-in-law lives on the property with us in a separate house and she did help a little bit, but she is very, very scared of COVID and because she's got pretty, some pretty severe pre-existing condition risk factors, you know, so she did watch Jane, but anytime, like after I went back up there, we were, and again, we knew about Paxlovid rebounds by the time I was negative and we went upstairs after my first quarantine. So we were still masking around each other, but I did hug Jane. I was wearing a mask and I didn't breathe on her, but I hugged her and I hugged my wife and like, you know, we had a meal in the same room, except for I was far away. We were being careful. So, but nonetheless, we were like, oh God, did I give it to him the second time? So then they had to start their whole testing regimen again for like five days before they were sure they didn't get it. So, you know, Janet wouldn't watch her then. And then she only does like one night a week, but it was, you know, actually Emma said they had a lovely time. It turned out it wasn't that bad for Emma. Jane was very, very well behaved. Has not especially been super well behaved since. <laughs> uh, she's good, but it was definitely a transition. Um, you know, she got every night, she got mommy all to herself all day, every day. Now, at first, when I first came out, she was so happy because now she gets attention from two people, but she pretty quick, pretty quickly realized that she was going to have to split mommy's attention with me. And that did not make her happy, but she's adapting. I've been out for almost 10 days now and she's almost back to normal. She's cranky last night, but she seems good today. Uh, and I'm doing almost every bedtime now, and I'm back to doing all my breakfasts, of course. So I'm trying to make it up to Emma, you know. I mean, I'll do something big to make it up to her, like she can go on a vacation or something at some point, and I'll watch Jane. But this is just, like, giving her the space and time she needs to, like, recollect herself after spending, like, literally a month with nobody but a five-year-old, right? <laughs> Uh, but for me, you know, after those first three or four days, the Paxlovid pretty much eradicated the symptoms and I was very tired, but other than just exhaustion, I didn't have any more symptoms for the bulk of my quarantine. Um, yeah, I had my air mattress down here. We brought a bunch of food in here, brought a bunch of, you know, all the, we keep all the Sazevia and sodas in the garage so I could go outside and go around to the garage and go to the garage with my mask on and get sodas. I had access to my car. I didn't, I didn't really... I don't know, the first pen, the first quarantine, I went to like McDonald's drive through in my mask once or twice, but then I started to feel guilty about it. So I didn't do that the second time. Also, I was just so much more tired the second quarantine. Um, the first quarantine, I watched a lot of Civ streamers. And the second quarantine, I just watched a ton of movies, which we'll talk about, obviously. I was not, I didn't have enough energy to do anything though. You know, it's kind of frustrating. I was sitting here, it was my holiday vacation. Uh, every year I have this big list of fun projects to do over my holiday vacation and watch movies. That's what I do. And I had done some of them before I went to New York. So like I got all my files, all my photos and files of the year sorted. That was a huge one, you know, all my camera photos and all that. Um, I got like my year end media list done and I got like my year-end meme questionnaire list, you know, thing done that I do every year. I've been doing for years and years and years. Uh, I, I, you know, I got my Spotify playlists migrated and set up for the new year, but a lot of stuff I haven't done yet. Even now I haven't done my journal book 
every year I take my journal and I put it into like a Word document and format it and then send it off to Lulu and print out a book copy too, one for my library and one for my storage unit. I haven't even started that yet. I was going to do the same with Good Morning, Hello, How Are You? and get started on the second volume. My editor, Lisa, she had a pretty bad bout with cancer last year, but she's really feeling a lot better and ready to take on work again. I need to send that to her, but I just didn't have the energy to do any of these things. I just lay, I slept. I was sleeping like 10, 12 hours a day. It was crazy. So much sleep. And um, I was definitely going a little crazy by the end. <laughs> by the end, there's like no more movies in anybody's plex to watch. I have like a kind of a rule during Christmas. I watch that year's movies, right? Like not old movies. It's about catching up on the year and film that just happened. So I like try to make sure I watch all the major films of any given year, you know? And by the end, I was like really scraping the bottom of the barrel. There are a few big movies I haven't seen. This always happens. They don't come out on video till January. I certainly couldn't go to a theater at the time. I guess I could go now because I'm probably immune for a while, but uh, I still haven't seen Black Panther. I still haven't seen Babylon, but I've seen most of them as we'll discuss here. So yeah, that was what I've been doing since I saw you. I did not have the energy to do a podcast. I kept thinking about it every day. I was like, you can do it. Just do it. You're stuck in here. And then I was like, nah. Uh, I actually had a lot of fair amount of work over the holiday, too. I've been really busy at work. All right. So anyway, that was my pandemic quarantine. Uh, and I guess it's fitting. You know, I made it three years, almost, just shy. Um, assuming I didn't have it in February 2020, I still think it, think I did. Especially now that I've had it again, it was exactly the same symptoms for me. Really weird chest pain chest cold that feels like I need mucinex, but there's not enough music, mu mucus in there to do anything. A little bit of a sore throat, a um, little bit of sinus, but mainly chest pain and fatigue. And it was exactly the same as for me in February 2020. So I do think I had it back then, which sucks because now it means I've had it twice. And they say every, the more times you have it, the greater risk you are at certain things like heart. Anyway. New York was lovely. I saw a lot of friends, got a lot of work done, met uh, some coworkers. Um, I met some business associates, if you will, on certain projects I'm working on. Um, yeah, that was really good. Went to the Webby holiday party. I saw a bunch of people from a fake Slack, or from not fake Slack, from a Slack group that has been keeping me sane all through the pandemic. One or two of them I already knew, but one or two of them I had never met before. And so that was really cool. I actually met some people. <laughs> I think they're only new people I met in 2022. <laughs> And I saw my best friend, Doug. I saw a bunch of other good friends, too. I saw Allison Flood. I saw Danielle. It was great. I saw Eva. Yeah, it was awesome. Actually, I didn't see Allison. I saw her last the time before. I saw Nikki Digital. Yeah, I saw some good friends, man. It was great. Uh, yeah. And then New Year's, I was in quarantine. And I kind of lucked out because by that point, I <laughs> lucked out, quote, unquote. Uh, by that point, COVID had spread pretty far and wide in Boston, and uh, for the last two New Year's, I have spent them on Zoom with Boston friends because somebody's had, this time actually, they one of them had, had COVID, and then two of them had the flu or something, RSV, they're not sure. Um, no, they know it was flu, they got a test. And so they're all sick and they didn't want to go out. And then the people that went out, you know, it's Boston, doesn't stay out that late. They joined us later, they uh, beforehand. So for the third year in a row, I mean, it's kind of like a mixed blessing. Like before the pandemic, we would go to New Year's events here in North Carolina. And one year was great with our neighbors. One year we went to like our old neighbor's new house and they were great. It's great to see the neighbors, but like a lot of friends I didn't really know. And I got too drunk because I didn't know enough people. And anyway, um, 
So it's kind of a like actually a bonus for us. Like the last three New Year's, it's been on Zoom, but I've got to spend them with like some of my best friends. So it was exactly the same in the last two. We watched the Miley Cyrus New Year's thing on my TV while we all talked and drank. <laughs> it was super fun. And then Christmas we did, I think like January, it would have been 6th, 8th. And that was lovely. I got a KitchenAid mixer. I'm very excited. Right after this, I'm going to go up there and make some pasta. I got the pasta attachment too, which is super exciting. So I'm going to make some homemade pasta today. And uh, I got I got a cool dashboard cam. We've been meaning to film some, some footage of the area we're in because so much development is happening. We think it'd be really good to have in like 20 years. Um, and then, you know, the various sundries I usually get and Jane, they had been opening one present for Jane each day. And honestly, that's a lot better. She gets overwhelmed with too many presents. And so, you know, like one at a time and, uh, got her some coloring books, some Hello Kitty bags, some socks, some Legos, you know, you can just get her. Oh, I got her a knife and a peeler, this like French children's knife peeler training set, which my friends said was really great. She loves it. I can't remember who recommended that, but thank you. Got Emma some really amazing pajamas that my friend Aubrey recommended. They were, she was very, very happy. She wears them all the time now. It was great. It was lovely. Oh, we got Janet a Apple Watch, and it was kind of a bit of a gamble, but she's a fitness nut, and she, you know, I have mine, and I was telling her how, like, I just love it, and it's really helped with, like, exercise, and, and she just, she took to it really quick, so she really does like it. So that worked really well. Christmas was lovely. Our tree is still up. It'll probably be up for another month. Yeah, and so Jane's a lot better now. Um, apparently, she was an angel for Emma through the entire quarantine, and I've just been spending hours and hours and hours with her every day since I got out. Um, trying to do every night. Emma had to do two. Last night, we did it together, but I've done like eight of the last ten bedtimes. No, I guess it's like six of the last eight. Yeah. And all the mornings again, we just made some waffles together. It was super fun. Uh, Emma consented to watch her for an hour or so, so I could do this podcast. But then she's going to help me make the pasta. We'll do that. We'll eat dinner. We'll go on our walk. We're doing our walks again. First couple days, there's that big hill in our neighborhood. And we just have one street half mile long, and there's a big hill on the way back home after you get to the end and turn around to the cul-de-sac. And uh, the first two days, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't do this hill. And the first couple of days, like just taking, picking Jane up and walking up a flight of stairs was just like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And I used to just carry up, you know, both flights of stairs, no problem. But I was definitely very exhausted. I, I'm feeling a lot better now. Today, especially, I mean, I slept from 10 p.m. to 8.30 today. So <laughs> I've been getting back up at 6, 6.30 during the work week. But today I was like, no, I'm sleeping in. It was great. It was awesome. Jane gets up at 9. Uh, but yeah, she's great. She's been drawing a lot. She's been playing with her dolls. She's been building Lego. She's been getting really into parkour. She can almost do a handstand now. Headstand, I guess. Um, headstand, not handstand. But she's getting there. She understands to like tighten up her inner core, and I like I hold her feet and I slowly balance her. And she's getting really good at that. We taught, we learned about physics yesterday: gravity and momentum versus inertia, and the difference in friction. This morning we learned what a foundation was because I was trying to explain the metaphor of foundational, you know, fundamental forces and the foundation of science and knowledge. And I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know why. Because she's finally in the why stage, and it's wonderful. I love the why stage. This is what I had a kid for. I'm so I'm so here for this. So, <laughs> and it works. She understands like a lot of like very complicated concepts now, and it's just kind of hilarious. She's so bright. It's great. Uh, yeah, she's she's fun. 
And then work is intense, super intense, lots going on. I'm not going to really get into it other than the volume of work. And I, I had to do a lot over the holidays. I've been doing a lot the last week, a lot of like big company meeting presentations and stuff like that. I totally spent all day yesterday writing two more company meetings, presentations. It was like 180 slides. It was nuts. I feel bad for these people. Come on, man. Don't start the screensaver when I'm talking. Uh, so yeah, work is really, really intense. There was a big freeze in the beginning of January, so my garden pretty much all froze. It got down to seven degrees here, which I don't think is cold, but the plants do. Um, it looks like the garlic made it. I can't tell if the wheat made it. It was doing so well, and it's winter wheat. Come on, man. It's like North Carolina-specific winter wheat. Sorry, I just turned around to look out the window. Uh, but it really all fell over in the freeze, so it's unclear if that's going to rebound or not. Um, the, same with the onions. The snow peas died. Uh... The winter celery died. A lot of stuff just died. It was too cold. And I was like, not, I think it was like the day before I was going to New York or something. So I was like, I can't deal with putting blankets over everything because I'm not going to be here to take them off. I don't remember the deal. Maybe I was already in quarantine. Uh, anyway, it sucks. But I think some of it will make it unclear if the overwintering peppers, which are very heavily mulched, but are outside, if they will make it. So fingers crossed. I don't really care if none of it makes it, none of it makes it. But I think the garlic's going to make it. Be, that would make me happy. Kind of bummed about the wheat, though. That's a bummer. Starting to think about next year, though. I got to get one more birdie's bed for the strawberries. I'm going to put them in a different place. And um, I think I know where I'm going to go. And then I'm going to buy some tea posts and, and, and wire for the grape trellis. I know where that's going to go. But I need to get some water irrigation over there. Um, and I've been talking about it with my neighbor who's starting a GC firm, but he kind of keeps blowing it off. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, but then again, I told him it wasn't a rush. I always do that to myself. I tell them it's not a rush because it's not. But then I want to know what it is right away, even though I told them it's not a rush. I'm not a good project manager. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, so gardening's doing okay. I uh, got those year-end lists done, and um, that's about it, though. Still got to do the good morning, hello, how are you, book two, and I got to do the annual journal book. I didn't file any of my paperwork for the year. Oh, I have a lot to do. It's a little overwhelming. Work is a little overwhelming, but it's fun. I'm into it. It's a good time. Work is it, it's productive. Things are going well. So that's how my life is. That's the first 20 minutes. Uh, you know, given that I haven't done this in a month, uh, you'd probably think my media list is insanely long and the movie list is long, but the uh, the music isn't... I, you've gone through... We've gone through much longer music lists because that whole pandemic, I wasn't really... I think I listened to like... I'm just glancing here. Yeah, three or four new albums total in those three weeks I was in pandemic. Just wasn't really, wasn't really doing that. Just was watching movies, 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 movies. So many movies. And I did read a few books. Anyway, let's do it. Uh, I did sell some Blu-rays on eBay from The Ripping Project. None of them were 4K. They're all HD because you will recall I am slowly upgrading the resolution of anything in my Plex that is not 1080p. And I'm mostly done. Uh, there's a bunch that just don't exist out there. Things like Heavy Metal Parking Lot or, uh, you know, like 1920s silent films. Or, um, like Louise Brooks Pandora Box, Pandora's Box, you know, or, um, you know, pirated stuff like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, or obscure French and foreign stuff. But, uh, and then the rest are, I'm getting the 1080s, the best I can get off of Netflix. So I have a queue and they come in and I rip them. But, you know, there's like 30 or 40 more films in there, but I know where they are and I know what they're done. All the ones I could buy that I purchased in 4K, that's all done now. 
But I did sell off on eBay Foxy Brown, uh, Sting's Bring on the Night. Very hard to find that thing. I had to order it from Europe and import it and then sell it on eBay and make very clear on the notes that it was a non-American region DVD or Blu-ray. Then I get really worried the person that's going to buy it is like doesn't notice the note and I put it in all caps. But it worked. And uh, same with uh, Brother of Sleep, Schlafes Bruder, a German film about a sort of a homoerotic 1800s or church organist. <laughs> it's very fucking great film man i love that movie so much uh and then serenity the joss whedon film the film after firefly and uh french film encore en Yves, heart and winter great film beautiful loved it in the 90s um yeah and then i also added cries and whispers the bergman film all of the lord of the rings peter jackson trilogy extended in 4k so that's intense that's all up there now chung king express in hd and the Highlander, I bought the 4K of that, uh, put it up on eBay, and it sold in like four seconds. So that's up there now. Uh, only sold four things on Discogs. I turned it off for a big chunk of my quarantine because I was just too tired, and I couldn't even face the prospect of putting my mask on and going to my office like 10 feet away, the library where the CDs are versus my studio. This is a big house. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> anyway, I couldn't even deal with the thought of it, so I just turned off the my discog store for quite a while but i did sell lowe's secret name cd nick cave and the bad seeds henry's dream cd uh babyland which was a san francisco industrial band in the early 90s they're really good if you like industrial uh you suck crap and spell which was a goth band featuring boyd rice of non uh the aforementioned lisa's ex-partner actually and uh rose mcgowan from what was her first band? Uh, Strawberry Switchblade. Anyway, they had a duet in their mid-90s on Mute Records called Spell, a duo. And Big Red Balloon is the single I sold. No, that's the album, actually. I sold the single recently as well. I wonder if it was the same person, person I should check. Uh, did not go to any shows, obviously. Uh, I thought about a couple when I was in New York, but I decided to focus on Friends. And so this year, unlike last year, LCD Sound System was playing again when I was in New York. But I was like, I did this last year. I don't need to do this again. Um, so no shows. Uh, vinyl, fair amount of vinyl. I got the new Coil reissue on Deus Records of Queens of the Circulating Library. It's like a 45-minute drone album. I very much enjoyed it. I ordered from the band in Australia. Oh, my God, I spent so much money on these. Uh, two Underground Lovers Records. Underground Lovers is a seminal Australian shoegaze band. They released one album on Ivo Watts Russell, founder of 480's side label Guernica Records in the early 90s, which is how I discovered them. That album was called Leaves Me Blind, but they've got like 10 records. I had them all on CD for years. I've slowly been getting them all on vinyl, and I think I'm down to like one or two more that I need to find. But I got two of them, A Left Turn and Staring at You, Staring at Me. So good. Every one of those albums, just the best droney shoegaze. I love it. Shellac, Steve Albini's band, uh, Terraform. I didn't realize I didn't have this, and I went to like listen to it, and it wasn't there, and I looked at my, I was like, I don't own it, so I just bought it, a copy, cheap, off of Discogs. Soy Song, S-O-I-S-O-N-G, one word. Uh, that is Peter Christofferson from Coil, and Ivan Pavlov, a Swedish-Russian avant-garde musician. That's their collaboration. Uh, I feel like also the Nurse with Wound guy might be in it. Anyway, uh, and the album is called QX9, QXN948S. It's not an album, it's an EP. That's on Deus Records' new release, along with High Viz, the punk band from England. I really like these guys. It's like kind of a post-punk thing. They're so good. They're also on Deus Records, and that album is called Blending. So all three of those I got, those two in the Coil album, I got in one package from, uh, how you say, Deus Records, my old friend Gibby's label with his partner Ryan out in California. 
Then I got two Bauhaus reissues from Beggar's Archive. Beggar's Banquet has a site at archive.beggarsbanquet.com or beggars.com or something like that. Uh, the Beggar's Archive, and they reissued a lot of the sort of most influential albums on the label, and they reissued all the Bauhaus and Love and Rockets. Uh, did I talk about the Love and Rockets last time? These came in separate packages, so I might have talked about it. Do, 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 do. I did not. Well, maybe with the time before that. Let's look here. I could really edit this out, but I'm not going to edit this out. I did not. Okay, well, also, I got the Love and Rockets box set, which is every Love and Rockets album on vinyl in a box set, each one on different colored vinyl. It is beautiful. And it is also from Beggar's Archive. I spent a lot of money on Beggar's Archive. I ordered these in like mid 2022. Let me just put that in the list here so I don't forget that we talked about it. Uh, and I, they finally came. And so Sky's Gone Out and Burning from the Inside. I already had all the other Bauhaus albums on original vinyl. And I had, to be fair, like Love and Rockets, I already had 7th Street of Teenage Heaven and Express, and I think Earth, Sun, Moon even on vinyl. But they're like really cheap sort of 90s copies. 7th Dream wasn't. 7th Dream I got in high school. That's an 80s early issue, and it's, it's a nice gateful. But the other two are really garbage, super thin wax. And I didn't have the late albums at all. I didn't have Love and Rocket self-titled. I didn't have Hot Trip to Heaven um, and Lifted. And all those are in the box set. The box set's gorgeous. It was a little expensive, but it was worth it. And now I have the entirety of the Love and Rockets and Bauhaus catalog on vinyl, except for like the later stuff like Go Away White. I don't, actually, I think I do have Go Away White on vinyl. <laughs> oh, jeez, I think about that when it came out. <laughs> it's not a good record, but it has that one song. Endless Summer of the Damned. Yeah, man, Left and Rockets Bauhaus were both so good. Uh, Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde I got because it was a Vinyl Me Please selection, and it's a very nice pressing, and I'm very happy I did not have it. Uh, I got a <laughs> a clearly bootleg pressing, but that's all that exists, of Anais Nin with um, two New York avant-garde musicians that she was friends with at the time, and they did a... Electronic, early electronic, what is that? Bebe and Louis Barron, that's who it is. Two uh, a married couple, the Barons, pioneers of electronic music, inventing their own synthesizers in the 40s and the 50s, right after World War II in New York. And they did this piece with Anais Nin, where she read her poem Incest, and they made the music, and the whole thing was the soundtrack to her husband Hugo's film Bells of Atlantis. And it's in the MoMA, and you can see the film in YouTube, but the soundtrack, soundtrack, it's, you know, it's 20 minutes or something, but it's never been released. Uh, but there are very, very nice sort of bootlegs of it out there. Not many, but I found one, and I got that. Because I am obsessed with Anais Nin, and I have all her books signed, and I have... I've never talked about this on the podcast. I probably have. Whatever. I have a lot of Anais Nin shit. I got a handwritten letter from her on the wall right there. I can see it. I have her a Xerox copy of her entire unexpurgated journal that she made herself to give to her editor who, for the release of uh, the diary of Anais Nin with her handwritten annotations, as well as her editors. I have that. It is in 14 bound, uh, like three ring binders. I got a lot of weird stuff. Uh, Holy Fawn, Interdimensional Bleed, the latest album from Holy Fawn. I ordered this ages ago when it came out from Brooklyn Vegan. They never sent it, and I was really annoyed. And eventually, I realized, I looked up the order, and I was like, yeah, they just never sent this record, like, months later. And it was, like, a limited edition pressing, and I was like, I bet they don't even have it anymore. And I texted them, and they're like, oh, sorry, yeah, we'll send it now. And they sent it. 
And so I got it. But I was like, why did you? It's the only time I've ever ordered from Brooklyn Vegan. I didn't even really realize they had a store. And then they just didn't send it. That was really weird. So I don't think I'll be ordering from them again. Uh, I got the Sacred Bones stuff. Uh, the Sacred Bones is doing a whole thing about the Source family, which was a kind of a, well, absolutely a cult in Los Angeles, but not a murderous cult like the Manson family. The Source family owned that uh, vegan restaurant, the famous vegan restaurant, the Source, that had been around forever in L.A. And it was run, run by this guy, Father Yod, and they had a band, and the band was freaking awesome. It was kind of like a very heavily influences all modern American psych rock, like the new weird America stuff, like Sunburn Hand of the Man and Devendra Banhart and all that stuff. And uh, I have had for a very long time, like a 10 CD, beautiful in a wooden box with a wax seal set of the complete works of the Source Family Band's uh, Yahoo and Yahoo 13 and Father Yah. They have a lot, a lot of different names. They would rename the band based on who was in it and stuff like that. But anyway, Sacred Bones has been doing a big sort of reissue campaign for that. They put out a, the Source Family book. I have another book, photo book. It's a photo book. And I have another photo book about the Source Family that is just their Hawaii years division. They never left LA, but they mainly migrated out to Hawaii. And I had a book from that period. But um, now the Source Family's there's a new source family book it's on amazon but really you want to get it from sacred bones they also put out sacred bones presents the music of yahoo which is like a two lp set so you know it's a subset of the stuff i have on vinyl which is i think 13 albums but um it's still really good and uh i was very happy to get that also came with a t-shirt so now i have a source family t-shirt very very excited about that uh, i got a cheap 80s copy of <laughs> Like there's such a thing as cheap 80s copies. It was probably 30 bucks, but it was, you know, cheap in terms of thin wax. But it's the only one that exists of Zymox, Twist of Shadows, the famous synth poppy album of Zymox after they left 4AD as Cult of Zymox or Clan of Zymox, where they're more goth. I really love that album. I've always loved it. Emma loves it, too. And so I got a copy of that. I actually listened to that one album. It was on my, my turntable. I listened to it like 10 times during my pandemic. <laughs> Uh, Einstein's into Neubauten, Silence is Sexy, which I think was their last album. I hit it, you know, I just put it on my white want list back when it came out. I don't have all the Neubauten on vinyl. That is probably unobtainable. But I do have like 10 or so of them through the years. I've been buying them when I can since House de Lug era, early 90s. But, you know, they go back to the 70s. So there's a lot I don't have. But I got this one and I listened to it again. I hadn't listened to that album since it came out. It's actually way better than I remember. It's a good record. Um, Secret Stars, uh, Jeff Freina from Karate, and my old friend Jody Leo, aka Jody Bonaruro. Uh, I loved Secret Stars back in the day before I knew Jody, and I would go see them all the time, and I was obsessed. Not obsessed, but I really liked them. And then I hired Jody at Barbarian. I didn't do it, and I didn't realize it was the same Jody because she had changed her name to Leo, her husband's name. And so I didn't realize. And then I was like, oh, my God, we hired Jody from Secret Stars. And it was like the greatest day of my life. <laughs> oh, so excited. Anyway, I own all their stuff, but I didn't have the self-titled album on vinyl. And so I finally got that. That was great. I got a copy of Stars of the Lid, Gravitational Pull versus the Desire for an Aquatic Life. Stars of the Lid are one of this just fantastic drone band that I used to see a lot in Boston, along with their side project, The Dead Texan. And they're just so good. 
So I've been slowly trying to get all of their stuff on vinyl, and I have one left after this. Uh, Skull Crusher, new band, singer-songwriter, woman, very quiet. The album's called Quiet the Room. It's just so beautiful. I love Skull Crusher so much. That was a Vinyl Me Please selection. And just today, uh, the last new Wilco album that came out of mid-2022, the vinyl finally released and shipped today. So, you know, I ordered this probably early last year, but it just arrived today, called Cruel Country. And I ordered, <laughs> I splurged on these. I will say I splurged on these, but in the month of December, my credit card bill was lower than it has been all year because most of the month I just sat in my studio watching movies. <laughs> so I had a very low credit card bill despite these vinyl splurges because so much of this vinyl I bought like months before and it just ships, you know what I mean? Uh, Bright Black Morning Light. I love that band so much. Very, very mellow uh sort of blues meets southern gospel meets like Appalachian music and they have an album for example called Cali Alley Tucky and uh yeah they're so good this is their self-titled album the first time I ever saw them was at the All Tomorrow's Parties in Minehead where Slint was curating and I was just like oh my god this band rules they're on Matador I got to see them a bunch over like a year or two and then they just disappear and they're broken up and I just I loved them so much the band that burns twice as bright burns half as long, I swear to God. So that's all the vinyl. Uh, albums I listened to in the month of December and the first 10 to 14 days of January. A spoken word essay by Rick Webb. Caroline Rose, Kazemi, awesome record. Uh, New York, woman, indie rock, singer-songwriter. Not singer-songwriter, she has a band. A little bit more poppy than that, but she's awesome. Hedwig Molestad and Trondheim Jazz Orchestra. Hedwig Molestad is a avant-garde Swedish guitarist. She's awesome. My old bandmate Og got me into her. And this album was called Maternity Beast, and it's like a jazzy guitar avant-garde kind of thing. And it was great. The new Ways Blood album and the Darkness Hearts Glow, Hearts Aglow. People love that record. I thought it was good, but I didn't love it as much as everybody else. Uh, but it was good. Uh, Cerebrus Shoal. I don't remember who got me into this. It's called And Farewell to High Tide. It was droney, a bit psyche. It sounded a little bit like Tortoise, and I did like that a good amount. Don't remember who recommended most of these. These were oh, so long ago. Birds in Row, Grease Klein, G-R-I-S-K-L-E-I-N. Very noisy, very punk. Reminded me of Steel Pole Bathtub. My friend Andy Shea would have loved that band, Birds in Row. Philip Glass, Anthony Fumara, and Slagweg Den Haag, Vitreous Body. Philip Glass seems to be very, very prolific these days, or there's a reissue campaign. I honestly don't even know if he's still alive, but, but that one was uh, piano-driven, and I enjoyed it very much. Spelling the Turning Wheel is pretty smooth. Going to my one of my W Hotel playlists. Uh, I learned about that from KCRW. I liked it okay. Uh, Distohi dash Q, D S T O H I dash Q. Oh, yeah, okay, The Enduring Jew, and this is 90s indie. Uh, my friend Ian Fitzpatrick, I don't know, like nine months ago, sent me like a bunch of old indie seven inches that he didn't want anymore, but he wanted to go to Good Home, promised that they wouldn't sell on Discogs. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's my up right up my alley. So I sent them, and I listened to all of them except for this one for some reason, and so I listened to it. It had this band, Distohi Q, on it. Uh, and uh, I loved the song On the 7-inch, and then I, so I looked on Spotify, and they had this album, The Enduring Jew, and uh, the e um, you know what it might be the wandering Jew and that might be a typo because it says E A N D I think it is the wandering Jew anyway good record seventies in or nineties indie rock uh, one hundred Gex Snake Eyes EP one hundred Gex uh, is a 
fairly new band that sound completely insane. They characterize themselves as their two favorite genres are breakbeat techno and Cannibal Corpse, the death metal band. And they are kind of a mix of breakbeat techno and Cannibal Corpse and uh, everything else. They're, they're, you know, it's like cut up, crazy, modern. Uh, it's good. I like it. Jezu, Kevin Broderick's current sort of grindcore band, put out a two-track LP, each one of them about 18 minutes, Pity and Piety. Loved it. I love Kevin Broderick, Jason Broderick, Justin, Justin Broderick. <laughs> oh my God, I've seen Jay-Z like three times and Godflesh like twice, but uh, Justin Broderick, sorry. The Naked and the Famous, Passive Me, Aggressive You. So I was at Tom and Jerry's in New York and I was sitting at the front table waiting for my friends to arrive and this great song came on. I was like, oh, that's good. What is it? And I shazammed it. It was this band Naked and the Famous that I'd never heard of them. And I really like it. It's very anthemic. Kind of reminds me of Broken Social Scene a little bit. Uh, the Cure, Wish, 30th Anniversary Edition. I heard it that ages ago. It finally arrived, and uh, it's awesome. I got the two LP set, so I don't get any of the bonus tracks. I just got the remastering. But I hadn't listened to Wish since the early 90s. I saw the Wish tour, and I used to listen to it a lot. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was too poppy when it first came out, so I didn't give it enough of a listen because of Friday I'm in Love. But there's some great tracks on there. You know, I already knew that, like, uh, Apart and Edge of the Great Deep Green Sea were good, but there's a couple more on there that I was just like, oh my God, they're so good. I didn't realize. I have a new appreciation for Wish. Uh, 93 Million Miles from the Sun, all one word. The album is called 93 Million Miles from the Sun, all one word. Uh, Shoegaze, great. Wouldn't say there's anything super unique about it, but it's a quality Shoegaze record. 36 who is a artist with another artist called Zake, Z-A-K-E, with an accent grave on it. Don't know who that is. 36 is an ambient artist, and this is an ambient album called Stace Sounds for Long Distance Space Travel 2. I swear to God, Spotify is just making me listen to 36 constantly, and I do love him. It's like this great ambient music, but like it's just foisting it on me every time I let it give it half a chance of the algorithm, so I've really shut all that stuff down. But that was a great record. Uh, Greg Dooley put out a cover ZP, collected up a bunch of Afghan wigs and great Greg Dooley covers, like every little thing she does in Magic. I think When Doves Cry is on there. I can't remember. It was great, though. It's on Spotify. Uh, Richie Knier. Oh, yeah, this is a great record. I didn't. I don't know anything about her. Okay, yeah, she's awesome. So these two Richie Knier records, R-A-C-H-I-K-A-N-A-Y-E-A-R, N-A-Y-A-R, uh, Spotify did a random recommendation for me on these. I think when I was listening to 36 and Zaka, actually. Uh, and I love her. She's so good. I don't know anything about her. One album was called Our Hands Against the Dark. No, I'm sorry. Our Hands Against the Dusk. And the other one was called Heaven Come Crashing. And they're so good. And the thing they most remind me of is Peter Gabriel's soundtrack to The Passion of Christ, to that album, Passion, which I love and I've talked about on the podcast before when I finally found a vinyl copy of it. But, oh, she's so good, man. She, Yeah, that was a great discovery. Rachika Nair. I'm going to learn more about her. And then the other one it recommended to me was this band called Old Sea Brigade, who I did look up, and it's some, like, young dude from the Midwest, and he's so good. He's like the like the uh, spiritual and descendant of early Mojave 3 or early Red House Painters before Mark Kozalik became problematic. And I listened to two of his albums, 5 A.M. Paradise and Motivational Speaking, and, man, they're both great. I just, yeah, Old Sea Brigade, another great find. Uh, then I listened to the Tar soundtrack, music from and inspired by the motion picture Tar, with by Hilder Gooden. Gooden I can't even pronounce her name today. Hilder Gooden's daughter. Uh, she's the woman that she won the Oscar last year for best soundtrack, and she did. I think she got the Emmy too. She's well on her way to an EGOT. She probably already has a Grammy too. Um, not the Emmy. The she got an Oscar and a Grammy, and then she got. 
I guess it was the Golden Globe for the Chernobyl soundtrack. Anyway, she's like a protege of Johan Johansson, who passed away. She used to work with him. Now she does soundtracks, and she's awesome. Icelandic classical composer. I love her. And they actually, if you watch the movie Tar, they talk about her in the awkward scene where she teaches a class. Uh, I listened to another soundtrack of a movie I saw, the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross new soundtrack to Bones and All. They've actually done another soundtrack since, which I also listened to, called The Empire of Light. Uh, but the Bones and All soundtrack is um, noteworthy because it has a vocal on it. It has a Trent Reznor vocal, a new one, and it's very sparse and very mellow and very beautiful. The rest of the soundtrack is pretty uh, piano-based. It's good. And then the uh, the other of uh, one of their soundtracks, Empire Light, is very ambient. Sounds kind of like 36, actually. Um, you know, modern ambient. I like it, though. Automatic is the name of the band. The album is called Excess. It's droney synth indie, and I liked it a lot. Lee Tracy and Isaac Manning, It Is What You Want. No, wait, Is It What You Want? I don't remember why I won't listen to that. <laughs> it's old. Somebody must have mentioned it or I read it in something, but uh, it was fine. Uh, you know, I don't remember much about it though. Drug dealer hiding in plain sight, uh, rock album, straight ahead rock. Didn't really like that too much. I thought I liked that band, but I think I was wrong. Devil's cross country lawn. Uh, that one is very broken social scene. I know I said that already about, uh, the naked and the famous, but I think, uh, devil's cross country is actually even closer to broken social scene. Cool, indie, sophisticated kind of rock. Uh, the Smile, live at Montreux Jazz Festival, July 2022. The Smile is uh, Tom York and Johnny Greenwood's new band with a jazz drummer and saxophonist. Um, <clears throat> you know, I haven't actually listened to the record, but I listened to the live record. It just came out uh, from the Montreux Jazz Festival, and they've done a, a couple. I've watched a couple other sets. Just yesterday, I watched their KCRW set. They're very good live, that band. It's uh, pretty intense. I'm not really a late period Radiohead fan, but I am pretty into The Smile. Girlo, just like the TVs do. That's a girl punk album. I really liked it a lot. Castle Beat. Oh, what a great band. Apparently it's one guy. Apparently he's in Brooklyn. But uh, my friend Nick got me into him. He said he calls it New Order meets Beat Happening. I think there's a lot of merit to that. It's a little bit more New Order than Beat Happening. It's just beautiful pop. It's so good. Uh, yeah, man, that guy rocks. Very into it. <laughs> Uh, and then I listened to a, a band called Wiccafay's Springs Eternal. I listened to this pretty much straight up for the name. Uh, and the album is called Full Moon Mystery Garden. Uh, and then I think it was Pitchfork or somebody was like, it's shoegaze and hip hop and this and that. And I was like, okay, cool. But it was way more hip hop than shoegaze and not near as Wicca as I hoped. But it still can't can't beat that name, man. Wiccafay's Springs Eternal. <laughs> Noso, N-O-S-O, with the S with the S capitalized. Stay Proud of Me was the name of the album. Sophisticated synth pop. I liked it good. It was solid. Harry Flint, You Are My Ever Lovin' and Celestial Power. Violin Drone, just fantastic. I actually think I saw this guy live in the 90s when he played with uh, Gastrodel Soul and Tony Conrad. And uh, I freaking love this record. It's just droney violins for like two hours. It made me very, very, very happy. It's right up my alley. Uh, Angel Dean and Sue Gardner, Pot Liquor. Oh, yeah. This is a 20 album from 2014 because my friend Vicki Wheeler, who's awesome, she used to run the promotional company Autotonic. Um, just, you know, friends with like, she's been 
indie rock industry since back in the day. I like she used to work at 4AD. Anyway, she tweeted out or put on her Facebook page or something that she loved this song that came out this year by Angel Dean and Sue Gardner. And I listened to it. It's only on Bandcamp and it's a good song. So I was like, I want to listen to more from them. So I went over and looked at Spotify. The only album they had from them was from 2014. And, uh, it was great. It's like country, and I really liked it. Angel Dean and Sue Gardner, really good. Uh, the True Faith, Go to Ground, that band rules. They're just like unabashedly new wave goth from the 80s, and they're so great. I mean, come on, they're called The True Faith. You get what you want. You get what you expect with that band. God, they're awesome. Dodie, all lowercase, Hot Mess EP. Uh, she did a Tiny Desk concert. I was very, very struck by her. She is like a YouTube star. She's English. She's like, I think, 20 now. She got famous when she was 16. I'm going to listen to more of her. I think I actually have listened to a little bit of her before, but uh, I really liked it. The Hot Mess EP by Dodie. Enumclaw, Save the Baby. Um, this was on KCRW as well, and I kind of call it like Dinosaur Junior Light. I mean, like, I think they're trying to be maybe a little bit TV on the radio-ish, but to me, they sounded most like Dinosaur Junior, and I really liked it. It was good. Tombstones in Their Eyes, awesome drone goth band I love so much. They had a new album or EP called A Higher Place that I had not heard. And finally, my friend John Hurwitz over in Portland sent me a new shoegaze band I'd not heard of called Doust, D-O-U-S-E-D. They had an album called Murmur. It's 34 minutes long, and it is great shoegaze in the Swerve Driver sense. It sounds like Ray's, the first Swerve Driver album. Really, really liked it. Whew. So that's it for music. That wasn't too long, right? TV, let's see, we talked about the peripheral on SNL and Rick and Morty, those are all done. We've been watching His Dark Materials, it's okay, it's very frustrating. The acting's brilliant, uh, I think the overall story is good, it gets a little bit too chess piece moving sometimes, big groups of people that they just move around, like I swear to God, half of season two was just moving people on a chessboard, and it was really annoying, and it's unrealistic, and it's, I think the showrunner is the weak spot in the show. The VFX are kind of bad, the soundtrack's kind of bad. And the pacing's problematic, but I think the story's good, and I kind of want to read the books, so I don't know. It's Last night, we watched the finale of season two and the opening of season three, and I think the finale of season two might have been one of the worst television shows I've seen in years, but the, the opening to season three was really good. We're almost done. It's only three seasons, seven or eight episodes per season. I'll finish it this week. It is... It's causing me a lot of grief, I'm not going to lie. And they just killed off, like, one of my favorite characters, and I'm very angry about it. The cast is stellar, though, and the acting is really good. Uh, Bad Sisters, that was fun. That was on Apple TV. It's a murder mystery show. I randomly guessed who did it on the first episode, then I forgot I guessed right, and then I was completely confounded the rest of the show. It's hilarious. It's a comedy, and I, I mostly recommend it. I had a few problems. There's one fundamental problem with the plot. If you ever want to know what my problem is after you watch it, drop a line. I'll tell you. During my pandemic, I watched Willow... Well, the girl in it is super hot, and what's-his-name can't really act very well, and it's one of those fantasies that has modern music, and it's very teen-focused, and it's, it's, it could be better. There were points I really liked it, and I was looking forward to watching the next episode, so it wasn't terrible, but it was disappointing. Uh, my next guest, I watched the one episode where David Letterman goes to Ukraine and does his interview with Vladimir in the, uh, Zelensky, sorry, in the subway. And it was really good. 
that was really awesome. Then I watched Slow Horses, the Apple TV series with Gary Oldman, because I'm a sucker for Gary Oldman disappearing into a, a role. And he did, and the acting's great, and I really liked a lot about it, but the plot had some stupid holes in it, especially in the second season. But it's only 12 episodes total, so you can bang through it. I mostly enjoyed myself, even though there are things I didn't like about it. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm getting too picky about these things. And now I'm watching Star Wars Bad Batch again. If you're not a Star Wars fan, there is no point talking about this, but it's kind of interesting because they're dealing with Commander Cody, which has been an open question for quite some time. <laughs> you're like, who the hell is Commander Cody? He has like one line in the prequels. <laughs> in episode three, he's the, 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 the guy that's with Yoda when they come and save the day on Geonosis. That guy, <laughs> very important in the cartoons. Uh, I don't know why I'm still watching it, but it's fine. Uh, it is dealing with some lore stuff, like, you know, questions you have about the Star Wars universe. So I like that about it. Um, and it's an interesting time. It's like the transition from the Republic to the Empire. I don't know. It's fine. Whatever. It's 20 minutes an episode. You know, every year it's like spend three hours of your life every year and a half on it. Uh, so that's it for TV. Not wasn't watching a lot of TV. What I did was watch a ton of movies. Man, this is going to be... It's almost an hour already, but... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Uh, we're going for it. Let's do it. Lady Chatterley's Lover on Netflix. I am, of course, a student of sexy... Sexy erotic films. And that one I give, like, a B plus. I mean... In terms of the uh, normal craft of making a film, it's an A. The acting's great. The cinematography's amazing. The direction's solid. In terms of being a sexy, erotic film, it's like a C. But it's pretty, and she's hot, and a little bony. But, you know, it's great. Very well done. By far the best version of Lady Chatterley's Lover, and I have seen them all. <laughs> Speaking of which, Benedetta, the... <laughs> Oh, Benedetta. What a great movie. Oh, my God. Okay, it's, uh, what's his name? What, uh, Paul Verhoeven's most recent film. It is about sexy lesbian nuns in, I'm not going to say medieval times, but maybe Renaissance? Maybe, maybe Renaissance. I'm going to go with Renaissance Italy. Uh, sexy lesbian nuns. It's, it's awesome, man. I'm very into it. <laughs> that was a great film. I don't think it got any release in... The U.S., at least that I'm aware of, I had to import this 4K Blu-ray from Europe. and uh, But yeah, it ruled. I'm very into Benedetta. Uh, and then, okay, so this is interesting. I did, on that Slack I was talking about with my friends, they, we did a Secret Santa, but it was movies, right? So you, you got a person and you recommended a film to them. And the person I got recommended this film called We're All Going to the World's Fair. And this was in my Quarantine 1. And I was like, all right, quarantine one, I wasn't really watching films. I watched uh, Benedetta and Lady Chatterley's Lover before I went into quarantine. And I was like, well, whatever, I'm drinking tonight. <laughs> I drink like every fifth night of, of my quarantine. And so I put this movie on and I, I thought it was a horror film. It's like genres of tagged horror. But it was actually really good. It's really short and it's like a rumination on teenagers and the internet. And uh, I really liked it. It was kind of intense and a little bit funny and arty and very clever and whoever recommended it to me really nailed it and i really enjoyed it we're all going to the world's fair i rewatched lord of the rings return of the king in pan quarantine one 4k extended edition uh i mean i've seen that like 20 times so i don't know what else to say about it except this time i really don't like the sam and frodo journey and i loved everything else and it used to be a little bit reversed uh, and I used to really belittle the Minas Tirith battle compared to the Helm's Deep battle in Two Towers. But I've come around and I think the Minas Tirith battle is awesome. 
Glass Onion, Knives Out Mystery. I loved it. People talk about it all the time. Now I'm into the new movies, the 2022 films that I watched in pandemic or in quarantine too here. And I'm going to go through these quick. But yeah, I thought it was great um, and hilarious. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, beautiful, slightly too long. Everything's too long. Glass Onion was a little too long too. Banshees of Ishirin, Inner Inishirin, Banshees of Inishirin, probably the best film I saw of the year. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. Not too long. Hilarious, great acting, gorgeous cinematography. Triangle of Sadness, I have half a mind to edit that film into a 90-minute film, and I think it could have been brilliant. But as it was, it was way too long. But there were some really funny moments. You could totally cut out the entire part one, though, and it would make no difference to the film. The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's new film. Uh, way better than people are giving it credit for, actually. I thought that was a really solid film, and not too long, and well-acted, and interesting, and emotional. Pretty solid. For a Spielberg out- outing, pretty solid. And not too cliched. Had some real uniqueness about it. Uh, yeah, it was. he deserves more credit for that one. It, it really... It, it moved me. Amsterdam. Uh, a lot of people didn't like this film. I, I liked it. David O. Russell's new film, Christian Bale. Um, great cast. What's her name? Queen's Gambit girl, <laughs> woman. Uh, I thought it was good. I, you know, everybody calls it like his Wes Anderson wannabe film. I didn't see it that way. I thought the, the comedy and the humor was very different from a Wes Anderson film. It had a mystery to it that Wes Anderson never really had. I mean, maybe the art direction was a little Andersonian, but... I enjoyed it, and it didn't feel too long to me. Uh, Tar, Tar was insane. So much to think about that film. I kind of want to watch it again. It was nearly perfect. It was a little long, uh, but I love the way you can look at that film from, through so many different prisms, and people are people are talking about it in different ways. And I am definitely one of the people that thinks that it's sort of a ghost story or uh, maybe a horror story. Uh, I don't go so far as the theories that say that a large chunk of the film was a dream, but um, I definitely think of it more in that sort of like uh, the conversation sort of way than, you know, a cultural commentary that a lot of people seem to be viewing it as. But man, yeah, that was a great film. Just so good. Then I watched Bullet Train. <laughs> action film on a train. Funny comedy action. It was fine. It was fine. You know, also too long. Definitely a little too long. The thing about a film like that is like, it's just a bunch of set pieces and there's no, there is a mystery, but then after the mystery is solved, it's like people just keep battling now that they know the truth and you know the truth. And at that point you can stop the film at any time, but sometimes they just don't stop the film and you're like, well, of course they don't stop the film. They have another cool set piece to do, you know? So they're just going to do another set piece and another set piece. And I'm like, you got to stop, just stop. Uh, decision to leave Korean police drama. It was awesome, beautiful, great film. After Sun, uh, sort of a reminiscing on childhood arty film. Little too arty, little too vague booking for me. But the cinematography was great. The acting was great. Not too long. <laughs> That's a big thing for me these days. <laughs> the Woman King. Uh, that was awesome, actually. I was really, very, very into it. And doubly so when I realized that most of it, by and large, was historically accurate. And that that country, you know, you watch films about these African nations with, you know, black emperors and you're like, oh, yeah, but then, you know, they get killed off. And I'm like, actually, no, that country is actually the country of Benin and it's still there and it always has been. So when they live happily ever after, you're like, they kind of do. And that made me feel really, really good. Um, But yeah, good, great, great film. Great action. Badass. Yeah, it was cool. After Yang, I like that a lot more than people well, I guess nobody said it was bad. They all said it was so-so. And I thought it was great, actually. Sci-fi. 
sort of, but family, I guess the closest film out there would be AI, but, uh, I found it very, very good. And, um, you know, it's got that sort of like gauzy, nostalgic cinematography with long gazes that after sun had, and it's a little bit more out of place in after Yang, but, uh, it was really, really good. Confess Fletch, which has Don Draper reprising the role of Fletch made so famous by Chevy Chase. And uh, it takes place in Boston, so soft spot in my heart there. I read all the Fletch books when I was a kid, so soft spot in my heart there. Did not get particularly great reviews, but I had a great time watching it, and it was fun, and I enjoyed it. Kimmy, uh, the film with Zoe Kravitz, directed by Steven Soderbergh, a kind of a thriller taking place in COVID times, and it's taut and intense and quick and smart and very well done for a thriller. Uh, The Eternal Daughter, a little bit of a horror ghost story thing and also has uh, has, uh, Tilda Swinton in it. And damn, that was so good. That movie ruled and it was not too long, mostly. Yeah, it was great. Eternal Daughter, beautiful. My friend said you have to watch Souvenir Part 1 and 2 first, but I didn't watch them and I still just thought this was a great film. Cha-Cha Real Smooth. That was that was fun. It was heartwarming. Uh, sort of a coming-of-age comedy in New Jersey involving party motivators. <laughs> and uh, Dakota Johnson acting by not reacting, but it works and made her compelling. I don't know. It's a thing that could have gone off the rails. Like the, like the main guy, who's also the director, just has so much charisma that it really works. You know, it could have it could have not worked with a different actor in it. Uh, White Noise, the DeLillo adaptation with Adam Driver. This one, absolutely, 100%. Okay, I read the book back in the day. All I remember is the Airborne Toxic event that it took place in academia, and it was like kind of a send-up pastiche of American culture, consumer culture. But, I mean, what I remembered of the story was over within the first third of the movie and it just went on and on and on and it had a bunch of beautiful kind of weird confusing set pieces like surrealism right and that's this movie 100 percent. if you this is a film where like they didn't know when to end it because it was just symbolic surrealist set piece after symbolic surrealist set piece with no humanistic realistic story journey so it would have made sense to end at any moment and the moment they chose to end it had no more denouement to the human aspect of the film than ending it 30 minutes earlier and so like yeah i guess i got to see three more surrealistic set pieces but like i'm detached by that point and i've oversaturated with surrealistic set pieces that i don't care anymore and they should have cut off the last 30 minutes 100 percent uh bones and all oh yeah i did not know what that was going to be about <laughs> The description of the film on Plex was something like teenager runs away from home and does a cross country journey and meets a friend. And the friend is Timothy Chalamet. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is like a road movie. And I was like, what? Nope. I won't say much more. I thought it was great. It's definitely intense and uh, not for the weak stomached. Let's put it that way. Um, Meet me in the bathroom. The documentary about LCD sound system and the rapture, but mostly the strokes. You know, it was good. It kind of took me back a little bit. I didn't live in New York yet at that point. I lived in Boston, and all those bands would come up. I'd see all those early shows. Um, that movie made me think I thought, saw the first LCD Sound System show. I don't know. That was a little weird. I need to do a little bit more research on that. But, um, you know, my friends would open for these bands when they come to Boston. I saw like saw them out of small clubs, and I was following all this at the time. And, you know, so it was good. It was interesting. 
Um, everybody looked like children except for uh, James Murphy because he's way older than everybody. <laughs> and that's the thing about the time and the scene. I was like, well, I'm like 10 years older than all these kids. I don't really care that much, you know. <laughs> but I would go see them all. And uh, it was good. It was good. It took me back. Uh, the Rapture especially. I was like, oh, yeah. They were, they were fun live back then. Way more than strokes. Anyway. Uh, and then I watched this Norwegian film called Troll that was literally about a giant troll. It's basically Independence Day where the disaster is a troll. Uh, it's in Norwegian and it's competently made. And uh, that's enough for me, man. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty into it. <laughs> I was definitely scraping the bottom of the barrel by this point. Not going to lie. Uh, then I watched Senior, the Robert Downey Jr. and Senior documentary. That, that that hit home. You know, I lost my dad a couple years ago. I wish I made a film like this. But we did do that road trip. And he told me stories. And I would write them all down. And uh, this is a good film. It really it moved me. Uh, don't worry, darling. I decided after this point, I was like, I don't know what else to watch. Nothing else came out this year. Uh, that is in Plex or on streaming. And so I watched Don't Worry, Darling, um, because I realized, you know, all that brouhaha about, I don't even remember any of these people's names anymore. <laughs> I'm going to say Olivia Wilde, Harry Styles, and that woman who's like the greatest new actor from Midsommar, whatever. I can't remember her name. Anyway, I re suddenly realized I remember the previews to this film because of Chris Pine, and it seemed vaguely sci-fi-ish. So I was like, you know what? I will watch it. And I actually thought it was a pretty good film. It got kind of bad reviews. There were some structural problems to it, but by and large, it was pretty solid. Like, I don't really care about their relationship issues. That's not my business. And uh, you know what? Not a bad film. Uh, Olivia Wilde's not a terrible director. It had a lot going for it. Um, yeah. And then just last two nights ago, uh, Emma and I watched the Christian Bale film on Netflix because it had Gillian Anderson in it, Pale Blue Eye, and it was great. And it's sort of like a police, a detective murder mystery in at West Point in the early 1800s where a beat up old cop, sad cop from New York who has retired to upstate New York, solves a murder with Edgar Allan Poe, who is a cadet at West Point, of course, later on, Edgar Allan Poe goes on to basically invent the murder mystery, heavily influencing Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and then Agatha Christie. So, you know, it's got a lot of meaning behind it, and it is a murder mystery, and but it's with Poe in it, and it's really good. The acting is all solid. The mystery is great. Like, uh, strong recommend. recommend. It's on Netflix. And that is all the movies I watched in the last five weeks, about 24 films. It was pretty intense. And uh, the menu just showed up in my Plex, so i got to watch that soon. And then i got to see Wakanda Forever, and i got to see Babylon, and then I think I'll feel pretty good for 2022 films. Uh, books, I read The Chip War, The Fight for the World's Most Critical Technology by Chris Miller. I read that on my trip to New York, and it was great, and it's a great overview of basically geopolitics now through the prism of the microchip, which is to say all of geopolitics now. Uh, very well written, very compelling, and very educational. Uh, Bunnyman, post-war kid to post-punk guitarist of Echo and the Bunnymen by Will Sargent, the guitarist of Echo and the Bunnymen. This book ends uh, when Echo and the Bunnymen gets signed to their first major label, so it is not a rock and roll biography. It is a post-war Liverpool biography, and it's beautiful in that way. You know, I mean, the Beatles were from Liverpool, and it does talk about the, the resurgence of the rock and roll scene in Liverpool with Echo and the Bunnymen, Teary Rob Explodes. 
um, all those other bands, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera. But they're all just getting started. There's this club called Eric's and it's, uh, it's great. There's apparently going to be a sequel where he talks about actually being in Echo and the Bunnymen, but this one was great and I got no problem with that. The White Wall, How Big Finance Bankrupts Black America. I read a review of this and I was like, yeah, I want to read about that. And I read it and the content was hugely educational, but the book is not well constructed or written. But if you care about the subject, it's probably the best book out there as an overview. And I do care about the subject. So that was great. Uh, I read the January 6th report. That was depressing. And now I'm reading Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, a climate dystopic sci-fi book that takes place in L.A. with torrential rains. So it was a little close to home as L.A. got hit with torrential rains over the last few weeks. I'm not done, though, so we will talk about that next time we do the podcast. It's not too bad. I missed you guys. I hope your 2022 was excellent. I hope your New Year's and Christmas were great. Whatever holidays you celebrated, I hope they were lovely. Drop a line. Let me know how you're doing. And I will be less than a month next time. Talk soon. Take care.